Listeners and welcome to Dead and Lovely, your favorite horror movie podcast. Here with your host, Uncle Ben Eller, and my main man over here on the West Coast. Who is it over there on that end? Hollywood, Steve Spratling. <laughs> <laughs> Are you like wolf packing over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conan's here. Uh, six is that what X Pac went by when he was in? WCW. That's correct, and I found it ironic yeah. because he started off as the one, two, three kid, and one, two, three at yeah. six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wow. hope that, that was like an inside math joke. I think it was. I also <laughs> I hope that it just like so. sailed over all those meathead wrestlers' heads, like they just totally didn't get it. Right. Like he would try to explain it. He'd be like, "See, because when you add one." And two. Well, I don't know, brother. The- I just, uh, I don't really, I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but okay. So, like, you take the numbers and you put them to, yeah, okay, weights, like weights. Like, you put weights together, <laughs> yeah. right? Wait. Like, when to put a 20 on a 30, brother. Right, yeah, yeah. So, you're talking about lifting weight. All right, cool. That's a cool name. Now I can relate to this. <laughs> How's that West Coast treating you? Oh, it's great. The weather is phenomenal uh been walking my dog she is shedding like crazy because it's getting warmer Mm. so Mm. yeah pretty great out here in the west coast how about that east coast it's going good over here man it's starting to get pretty nice it's that good time to have them winders open and flip-flops on yeah oh yeah yeah i had a i had a a minor flip-flop injury um today oh no that's just related to being a hillbilly piece of shit like myself over here in tennessee (laughs) so i got a um i got a new guitar and i'm I'm starting to refinish it and um i'm removing the paint on it with a a heat gun which is basically Uh like a it's like a blow dryer that would actually peel your scalp off is what a heat gun is okay and it does really great to remove uh thick polyurethane paint i've never used one before um, and so I'm out here on the porch. I've got the guitar on the porch, and I've got the heat gun plugged up. And whenever you blow the finish off with the heat gun, the, the, the paint just kind of, like, blows off in, in pieces and chips. And, uh, of course, because I'm an idiot, I'm wearing flip-flops. And right. a, a napalm-like piece of, oh. oh, my God, paint just, like, landed, like, on my toe. Ooh. It burnt a hole through it. It's pretty It's pretty terrible. It's not, not my proudest yeah. moment. Now... In my mind, I was imagining you with the heat gun and the and the paint chips flying off. That it was sort of like uh, Thor's hammer, Mjolnir being being forged. It's precisely with, like that. Is it okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Good. Mm-hmm. And I also, I would like to imagine. I I can't remember who forged uh, his hammer. But I'd like to imagine that he also got a hole through his toe with a big just spark coming off the hammer. And he was like, God damn. Yeah, that's how he sounded. God he damn. was up there, up there just in Asgard. And he was like, oh, God damn. You've been watching anything good on that on that television? 
Um, well, yeah, uh, per your suggestion, I started watching Preacher, Fuck yeah. which, what do you uh, think? really enjoy it. Yes. I really like it. How many, it's uh, got, uh, how many episodes in are you? Uh, four. I watched, uh, through episode four. Awesome. So, um, really like it. I, uh, love, love the guy, um, who plays his friend Cassidy. Yeah, dude, that's my guy. He's awesome. Uh-huh. He, he was in an episode of Ripper Street uh, a few years ago. I've never seen that. Um, and it, well, Ripper Street's uh, it's pretty good. It's enjoyable. Um, but in his episode, he he was so scuzzy looking. Mm. Um, and seeing him in, in this, like he plays scuzzy really well. Yeah. I really enjoy it, man. I think we're about like maybe six or seven episodes in. I'm really, really, really enjoying. Um, oh damn it! What's his name? Jackie Earl Haley. Uh huh. As uh, Odin, uh, whatever his last name is. He owns the meat. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. mysteriously uh-huh. named Meat and Power Company. Yes. Um, <laughs> How really, does that work, dude? Like every time he's on screen, I'm like, oh, that's Maynard James Keenan. Oh no, it's not. Because <laughs> he looks exactly like fucking yes. Maynard. It's crazy, yes. dude. Um, oh, small man. hands. He's got very small mitts. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. I mean, that's a sore subject, you know, with the our hair president. So, <laughs> and I know he's a listener. I know he's a listener. He he's will tweet about this. <laughs> He'll probably delete it quickly, and people will be like, he didn't tweet about it, but he will. He's over there throwing shade at that dead and lovely. <laughs> I've been uh, yeah we've been watching Preacher which is fucking awesome I'm really really enjoying it and, and uh, you know again I've not read the comics so I don't exactly know how it compares I haven't either uh, but I'm definitely going to after watching this yeah I just sat down and watched um, it's a little Star Wars story called Rogue One. Oh yeah I, w- I saw Rogue One uh, a couple of weeks ago and how uh, did you feel about I love it. Of course, I saw it in the theaters like twice whenever it was in theaters, but it just came out on Blu-ray uh, not too long from when this was recorded. So we just got it. We've been watching it and stuff. Well, we watched it tonight anyway. I fucking yeah. love it. I think it's awesome. I think it's it's great that it is not a, a spick and span, clean, you know, hero, uh-huh. cowboy rides off into the sunset story. Yeah. Um, I actually... I think it's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot about it too. And I... Um, I actually didn't have as much of a problem as some people have with just how inept everyone seems to be at shooting them. Yeah. When when they're all like so easily like open uh, to be shot, I actually feel like Rogue One is is kind of like a it's like a, a legend that would be told, like the story of how it all happened. Right. It would be like a legend in the way that people would tell it. It would be like he just walked through the 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 phaser blasts and things. And uh, That's a so cool way it, to put it. it yeah, it'd be yeah. Like a, a story that like people in the rebellion would tell to like yeah. inspire and stuff like that. Yeah, going into it, like as a, as a fan, you hope nobody comes out of it okay like because you know it'd be like well we've seen what happens after this and they weren't there um so you just expect everyone's going to die yeah um but the the way that they they paid service to fandom but also made the characters interesting i mean some of them were a little flat certainly alan tudyk uh stole the show Mm -hmm. for sure oh yeah but 
uh, it was it was good. I liked it. It was an enjoyable movie. I too, man. It's really, it's a really good watch. Yeah, I watched that. I'm trying to think of anything else recently that I checked out. I think that's been the majority of it. I'm pretty busy working on a lot of music stuff lately, so I think that's kind of been the majority of of my of my watching. But I did recently watch a little flick that we're going to chat about today called Slumber Party mm-hmm. Massacre from the year 1982, the year of our Lord. The year of our Lord, 1982, <laughs> Slumber Party Massacre. This, I, listen, this was my suggestion. If anyone out there is uh, is angry at Ben, you know, stop being angry at Lay Ben. Off, you know, we, Lay off. Tweets, we get your tweets. Steven's the best part. Yeah. Ben shouldn't even talk. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. They say those things. It's cold. Uh, it's cold, y'all. And I'm going to tell my mom to stop doing it. Was this the first time that you watched this flick? No, it is not. I have seen this movie several times. Um, as a as a Ute, I saw it. We rented it. Uh huh. We rented it uh, several times. Uh, I would say probably because of the boobies. It has plenty o boobs. Uh huh. And we'll we'll talk about that and why that might be the case. Uh, and also the sequel to this movie, which I do want to talk about a little bit at some point. Yes, because I saw like last night I was watching through some uh, some YouTube reviews of a yeah. couple of people talking about you know their kind of take on this flick and stuff like that, and they showed a few quick um, segments from Slumber Party Massacre two, uh, and I was uh-huh. like, what the living fuck is this? Yeah, it's crazy. Awesome, it's crazy. Maybe we'll talk about that oh. at the uh, at the tail end of it after we go through the you know the historic part one. Right, this movie. For sure, I'm not going to claim it's a great movie. Right. But this movie has a lot of value as a historical artifact. Yeah, that sounds very accurate. Yeah, this movie is the first slasher that that I could find that was directed by a woman. Right. And written by a woman. Right. The director of this, Amy Holden Jones, I think will... It stands out as having the most responsibility for the final product because Rita Mae Brown, who wrote the script, um, she kind of disavows it. And according to Amy Holden Jones, basically she rewrote the whole thing. Really? Uh, yeah. So she basically just took a script that already existed and she shot the first uh, couple of scenes and showed it as a short to Roger Corman. The historic Roger Corman. Yeah, uh, I don't want to make the mistake of talking about a, an important female director and overshadowing her by talking more about maybe someone who helped her along the way. But Roger Corman was a, a big part of a lot of filmmakers getting their start. And most of those people worked in these schlocky sort of slasher movies or exploitation films that showed boobs right (laughs) so what he did was he he would give a young filmmaker a chance with something like this that he knew that he could make with uh, a real low budget and then he could sell it to like drive-ins and places like that and and he'd make his money back plus some right um and then he would use that money to finance bigger pictures or also to distribute uh 
art films from other countries, Kurosawa films, things like that. Which, you know, kind of what you're telling me here where you're talking about a male-dominated field using a woman to achieve what they ultimately want is profoundly relevant to this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, Absolutely. It's, it's a real life-imitating art-imitating-life kind of scenario, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> and this this was, I mean, this was Amy Holden Jones's first shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you compare this, say, to the career of Catherine Bigelow, Right. who also directed a low-budget uh, film like this that starred Willem Dafoe uh, and and did okay in the theaters and, and sort of gave her the uh, the go-ahead in, in a lot of people's minds mm-hmm. to, to be able to direct a bigger film. And that's what this did for Amy Holden Jones. It just showed she can direct a film, she can handle, uh, you know, uh, a, a simple script, and so she got more chances after this. One of those chances was right after this, she directed uh, Love Letters, which she wrote. And it starred Jamie Lee Curtis, hmm. which this was her Love Letters was her first film outside of horror where she got to be the star. Wow. Uh, so Amy Holden Jones gave Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, the, this opportunity. And Amy Holden Jones was getting this opportunity. And then after that, uh, she ended up butting heads with Samuel Goldwyn Meyer Jr., <laughs> um, who at that time was, uh, I believe, in his 70s mm-hmm. um, and probably wasn't uh, used to a woman insisting on directing a script that she wrote. Mm. But Amy Holden Jones wrote Mystic Pizza. Okay. And she insisted, she insisted on directing it. Uh, Samuel Meyer sued her for the script, uh, and tried to only pay her $5,000. Eventually she got paid for the film, but she didn't get to direct it. And it kind of, uh, fucked up her career as a director after that. So this is an interesting tale of, uh, one man who, who, who made a choice to help a female director get into a male dominated field. And another producer who came along and basically derailed that career. So wow, yeah, again, um, strangely appropriate for this uh, movie. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think this is like a really important artifact for horror movie buffs. Like you, you should know this movie for sure and, and its history. You know, let me put something out here as we get into this movie uh, and a lot of the subtext that goes throughout this yeah. flick. I uh I listen to a lot of other a lot of other podcasts and I'm always trying to, to scope out a lot of other like, you know, horror and horror related podcasts and stuff to listen to. And uh. I'll tell you, there's a lot of them that are like I don't mean to just talk some shit about some folks right now, Steve. I don't want to talk some shit. <laughs> but there's a lot of them that are like really misogynistic. Yeah. I don't That's exactly true. know what the deal is, but like I've listened to a bunch where it's 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 seriously just like what our uh, what our commander in chief might call locker room talk, and uh, <laughs> I want our listeners to know that that me and Steve here we're some uh, you know we're some 21st century down with the uh, down with the ladies kind of cats. I'm from the future. I'm from the 23rd century. Holy fucking shit. 
That, let me just ruin it for you guys. There's more misogyny oh. then, but but it's all contained in one little bubble, oh. and we watch them battle it out for supremacy. Now that I can get into. Yeah, it's fun. But you know, me and Steve here, we're we're all about the power to the ladies. Um, yes. It's not really. I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like putting that out there because there's so much of this stuff, and there's so much of the genre that I think is very much dominated by. You know, bro dudes that that just want tits and ass and stuff like this, and yeah, I just want to put it out there that that ain't our scene, yo. That ain't me. Yeah, and that's uh, that's certainly not why we would choose this movie, and for this, sure. And, and I'll also say about this movie that okay, I was trying to explain this to my wife earlier because she was like, "How was the movie that you watched and stuff?" And I was like, "Well, it's pretty bad, but it's one of those movies <laughs> that is way more fun to." retrospectively like talk about and think about than it is to watch yeah like watching it isn't necessarily very fun but thinking thinking about it afterwards and kind of talking about it like we're going to today is definitely way more fun um it's for sure <laughs> there is a massive amount of subtext in this movie and i feel like i feel like whoever wrote the script it's almost it's almost like maybe the actors or maybe the the i, I don't know it seems like a lot of people in the production didn't really pick up on the subtext and just didn't really know exactly what they were doing. Right. It was it was shot in a on a very tight budget, and yeah. a very small schedule. Yeah, not everybody really. I uh, I know that they they sold the film as um, a different title to the actors. Mm. It was something a little more. Uh, like don't don't open the door or something like that. Okay. Uh, so the actors, yeah, certainly didn't know exactly what they were involved in, and also, um, you know, if you you look at the careers of the people involved, very few of the people involved in this movie did anything else. So, well, it kind, uh, of, it yeah. kind of reminds me of the stories that you see about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two, which is widely known as kind of like you know the gay yeah. Elm Street where mm -hmm. a lot of the people involved with the production, including the director, just claimed to be completely oblivious about the, the the kind of gay erotic subtext throughout the script. Yeah. And they just made this movie not really knowing that, oh, this is gay stuff? Like, I didn't even notice. I feel like there's a lot of stuff in this movie that was probably like that. And I, in some ways, I like it that it was made that way because it's like, it's subtle and it's stuff that probably a lot of people wouldn't really think much of and i probably wouldn't like it if every if all the subtext was delivered you know way more on the nose and just explicit and boom in your face um, yeah i don't know i don't know but like i said definitely a movie to watch just to talk about and riff on not necessarily a fun watch <laughs> um i think there's some fun to it um the this movie was scored by uh, Amy Holden Jones's brother, Ralph Jones, on a $100 Casio MT30. <laughs> he was rocking that sick Casio rig. Yeah, I had one of those when I was a youngster. Um, Holy shit. Yeah, so, uh, uh, and you know what? Uh, bravo. You think you did a pretty good job. It's uh, for, for a very low-budget horror movie. The uh, soundtrack, at no point did the score ever stick out to me as terrible that's true yeah i can't really think of any part where it was like yeah no yeah so there is that. so yeah good job um the this movie there 
the killer is talked about every time the radio comes on. Yeah. And for some reason, <laughs> the radio comes on a lot. Yeah, it does. It's always like, oh, killer escapes, yada, yada. Like, yeah, the time. killer, He his name is Russ Thorne, and he apparently murdered five people back in the day. Yeah. Um, little uh, inside scoop, the original three scenes that Amy Holden Jones shot were uh, the the five kills that Russ Thorne was supposedly put in jail for. Really? Back in 1969 yeah. when he did yeah, that? that yeah, that original, that original three scenes was apparently there was a tarot card scene and, and some hippies, and it was, you know, I, I don't think there was a drill involved, but Anyway, so yeah, we, Russ Thorne, he's he's escaped the mental hospital, much like one Michael Myers. Or one Sirius Black. Ooh. Ha <laughs> ha! Oh! I mean, what if it is Sirius Black? <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I didn't see Buckbeak anywhere on, on the premises, but that, yeah. might, that might be a deleted scene kind of thing. I mean, this is this is after, after Harry... Uh, would have been uh, marked, right? 82? It's true. Would have been serious just out on a on a girl-killing bender. <laughs> and, you know, really, like, honestly, the, the plot and stuff of this movie is is so simplistic that I feel like we're probably yeah. going to, we're probably going to end up skipping over some parts. Um, I know that right, yeah. usually, usually on the show here, we kind of go through the movie kind of shot by shot, but there's so many parts in this movie. Like, I'll just tell you guys, yeah. like, Whenever we watch the flicks, we make notes and stuff, and I just kind of write out notes and then kind of review them before we do the show. And I kind of like cross out anything that isn't necessarily that relevant. There is so much stuff crossed out on my notes where it's just like, <laughs> you know, oh, Valerie hears a noise. Oh, Courtney hears a noise. Oh, yeah. Diane hears a noise. It's just, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of crossed out. So there'll probably be some things that we kind of skip over here because, like, honest to God, the whole plot of the movie could be summed up as killer escapes, girls have a slumber party, killer goes after girls. That's that's it. Yeah. Well, our main girl, I guess our main girl, I mean, it's hard to say main girl because there are kind of two main girls, but yeah. the first main girl we see is Trish. Uh, mm. And we almost immediately see her with her shirt off. Now, this is an interesting question my wife asked me. My wife. Um, my wife asked me when we watched this together, mm -hmm. she said, you said a woman directed this? And I said, yeah. And she was like, why are there so many boob shots? Yes. So, here's why. Roger Corman, when he funded these little uh, small horror movies and exploitation movies, he required nudity. Really? He didn't require sex. He didn't think sex drove people to the theaters. But nudity, if you... We're gonna see some boobs. Uh, people would go to the drive-in to see it. So if you boob them, they will come. Yeah. So <laughs> there are three scenes in this movie where it's just boobs and leering boob shots, and there's no like nothing is happening. There's no exposition occurring. No, there's no reason. Yep, just boobs, and that is because Roger Corman required it. Here's so. an interesting thing that I found about the intro of the movie, because, like you said, the intro basically shows... Uh, basic, the intro of the movie starts off with uh, a girl waking up and her radio her radio alarm thing's going off saying, oh, you know, Russ Thorne Killer is on the loose again. And she gets out of bed, and we see her boobs and stuff. And 
an interesting point is is that we see her naked before we even know her name. It's That's only, true. It's only like two scenes later when her parents are pulling mm. out of the driveway that they're like, yeah. oh, Trish, yada, yada. It's like, so mm-hmm. we've seen her naked before we even know her, her name, which I think is one of those things that, you know, again, I think so much of this movie is about the male, uh, you know, I don't know, sexual drive and libido and stuff like this. Mm. And I think so many guys notice a woman's body before they even think of her name or note you know what i'm saying yeah and that's i i actually think the shots where we see boobs that are just you know sort of random out there i think jones did a good job of using them to make some small points and i think that is what this one makes is she shows our protagonist naked before we ever learn her name like yeah like i think she is pointing to that i mean she knows she has to show boobs because corman's requiring it so why not do it that way there you go and so basically we see her and she's she also goes and she throws away she like has a trash bag and she's throwing away a bunch of her toys like stuffed animals and barbies and things like this she's throwing away the symbols Mm -hmm. of her girlhood because she is a woman now she's like a 32 she's like a 32 year old woman but Uh uh-huh she's (laughs) playing 18 i think Yes, which is, again, another theme through the movie that I think is blatantly made to make the male viewer feel dirty. Yeah. Um, more, well, on that, there, more on that later. Yeah. So, Trish, uh, it, we're also introduced to Mr. Content, uh, who is her neighbor, uh, who for some reason is played like he might be the killer a couple of times. Yeah, the kind of slight but, fake out. Yeah, but... If you listen to the radio, which again is on all the time, yeah. um, we know that Russ Thorne is is the one we're ready. And we actually see Russ Thorne pretty early in the film. So yeah. I don't know why they did the fake acts with uh, the neighbor. Yeah, exactly. There's so many things like that in this movie where it's like, oh, yes, psych. And it's like, okay, that didn't really develop at all. Um, and yeah. So, so basically, Trisha's parents are leaving for the weekend and they're like, uh, they're pulling out of the driveway, and she's throwing her toys in the trash can and stuff like this. And um, <laughs> there's that there's that line where like Trish is like, "I'm 18 years old, remember?" Like just blatantly. Just uh-huh. like, oh, let's establish how old I am. Uh, she throws away I her think... toys, and like there's a you just see a man's hand grab the Barbie from the trash can. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's actually one of the instances where it's like, what was that the neighbor? Um, yeah, but we know it's not. Uh, so yeah, we we cut to the school where Neil and Jeff, who by the way, throughout this movie, I think they change names. Okay, dude, I was gonna say like, how did you know that guy's name was Neil? Because all that I ever have in my yeah. notes is Jeff and Guy. Like, I ne- I never even picked up that guy's name. I believe the first word that is barely like muffled heard from jeff is neil you gotta find a girl man or something like that dude i only know it because of the subtitles that were on while i was watching jeez i didn't even notice that yeah so they're at the they're at the school and there's like a a blonde lady that's on a ladder like installing some cable or a phone line or something like that and they go over there and try to hit on her she's the same age as them though yeah, absolutely. And here's here's one of the things again important about this movie is 
the number of female characters versus the number of male characters. Right. There, there are ten named female characters and six named male characters. Right. Wow. It, it kind of sticks out. I mean, especially if you're used to looking for that sort of thing in film. Um, but it, it's interesting to think that even that ratio, which would seem like, oh, that's so, so many more women to men. Even that ratio is is barely reflected in most Hollywood movies uh, the other way. It, it's almost almost generally five to one men to women. I mean, look at, like, the Avengers or something. Like, right. Female characters are, are very underrepresented. And this, there are far more female characters. So, uh, that's, I mean, this uh, it's small strides, <laughs> for sure. But I think uh, Jones did a good job of, like, trying to focus on female characters more than male characters. Nice effort, 1982. Yeah. And, and so the, the handy lady there gets pulled into her, her work van there. A hand reaches out and grabs her. Yeah. And uh, a guy did in you a feel Canadian faked tuxedo. Out there? What was that? Yeah. Did you feel faked out there? Because I think I've seen so many times in slasher films where they do the, like, hand reaching out and grabbing and pulling uh, a girl into a room or something, mm -hmm. like, early in the film, and it's her boyfriend. Right. Like, that's what I was expecting was, like, oh, it's going to be her boyfriend. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Already oh, it's, it's the killer. And, and yeah. again, it's like that, that goes back to just throwing out that fake out about the neighbor, like, literally one minute earlier. <laughs> And, and uh, now we are just a killer, and it's not the neighbor. Yeah, exactly. And he uh, he kills her with a kind of corkscrew power drill. He pierces her with uh -huh. it, uh, a very phallic way to get murdered, which yep. is something that is hugely important in this movie. <laughs> the drill, the drill is the thing. It, I actually um, I looked up and, and worked out the history of the drill in horror movies, what? and. Yeah, um, and it plays to a point I have about this movie and that Amy Holden Jones has made about this movie. Um, this The first time that a drill was featured in a horror movie was a movie uh, called uh, Cover Up. Hmm. It, that's the title. Um, I can't remember the American title. But um, it the f killer in that film is a woman. And she uses a drill to kill. So interesting, interesting. Yeah, the next two, uh, the toolbox murders and the driller killer. The drill is very obviously like a phallic object, like it's meant to be phallic, just like uh, the chains in Texas Chainsaw Massacre has such like a phallic uh, meaning in the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. She says that she was trying to satirize um, uh, slashers. Mm-hmm. With this, so if you think throughout this of this as a subtle satire, uh, she uses the drill exclusively with a male character, and it's long, like mm. ridiculously long, um, and and phallic, and and he uses it as like a penetrative weapon predominantly. Yeah, like it seems like it's satirizing the the slasher killers. By also showing the killer to be just a dude in a Canadian tuxedo. Yeah, he's denim head to toe. He's not a monster. He's not Jason. He's not, you know, like, he's he's just some dude in denim. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and the thing is, too, is so many of these other slashers from this era keep the killer 
in the shadow, or they put him in a mask, yep. or he's a monster. Not this one. Yeah, in this, he is just a guy. He's like you sitting on the couch in the movie. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they go to gym, and we see a, a long gym scene of basketball. Girls' basketball game. All the girls are just, like, ridiculously attractive and wear, like, short, short shorts yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah, and they're all these cute girls. And, and we, I, I mean, we're sort of introduced to each of our characters. We've already met Trish. We see Ken. We see uh, uh, Diane, we see Jackie, and uh, Val. Most importantly, the Valerie, the new girl, who's kind of the teacher's pet. Uh-huh. Oh, and we also uh, see the coach, who is an important character. So, right. And then it cuts to uh, a shower scene. And yeah, like, that is just dude, blatant. Like, it's straight up like a, a deleted scene from Porky's, and even like the very yes. first thing that happens is like when it cuts to the shower scene, immediately there's a line of a girl saying, "Oh wow, did your tits get bigger?" And then it shows yeah. like an extended shot of a girl's butt, like soapy wet butt. Yep. Yeah, it like it like pans down to her butt. Yeah, stays on it for a while and then pans back up. It's a very like exploitation film shot. It's it's absolutely porkies and what it, and what it is again coming from the female director in the subtext of this movie as as a male viewer and again i'm trying to say this without sounding like a sexist piece of shit but it's like uh -huh. as you watch this that's exactly how you want it to be like that is the male fantasy of what a girl's shower room would be like is attractive girls talking about how their tits are getting bigger and then soapy uh -huh. beautiful butts um it's exactly the male fantasy of what that is. Yeah, and and this film has already passed the Bechdel test because the right. ladies have all talked about basketball. Like right. they were playing basketball, had nothing to do with men. Now they're in the shower and they're talking about sports, but when they talk about sports, it's always about how cute the guys are, which is, I, I mean, like, saw them playing sports. Why not let them just say sports shit? I mean, later... They're talking about baseball like pretty in depth. So like, why not in the shower scene also just have them like just talking about baseball or basketball instead of being like, oh, I like that because the guys are cute. And more importantly, there's a scene in here where one girl in one shower stall asks the other girl in the other shower stall if she could use her soap, and she just hands her a bar uh -huh. of soap. And yeah, I, it's gross. I don't know why it seems gross, but it is. Soap should be a self-cleaning kind of rig. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's soap. Yeah. But for some reason, mm -hmm. that just seems really gross to me. Yep. <laughs> the girls are talking about, like, having a slumber party. Right, yeah. And Trish wants to invite Val. And this is... <laughs> I love this so much because Trish wants to invite Val. And Diane, um, she says that she doesn't like to get to know people. Or just, I don't like people that i have to get to know <laughs> and somebody so, in wait, what? Also says the line she drinks too much milk did you catch that yeah what the i fuck did does that mean i think because she's tall i guess oh, i don't no. know and so they're anyway, basically talking about how, like they don't want to invite val but then val is on the other side of the lockers and she hears it and her feelings are kind of hurt and stuff i'll say this their insults probably below the par set in uh, the Swedish schoolgirls in the phenomena. <laughs> we worship you. 
<laughs> yeah, at least they were directing some sort of insult at her. They're just saying, well, she drinks too much milk, and I don't like people I like. I have to get to know. Ooh. What? <laughs> so you don't like anybody? And so Diane is Diane is the snob, really. That's the one that's kind of trying to like keep Valerie from getting invited to the party. But Trish, yeah. who's kind of the other, the second sort of protagonist of the movie, goes after Val, and she invites her, and Val's like, no, I can't. I got to... Yeah. I gotta watch over my sister. Yeah, and um, so yeah, like Trish tries to help help out. You know, it's uh, she seems to be nice. Actually, all of the girls seem to be nice. Even Diane, who doesn't want her to come over, doesn't seem to be a bad person. So this again is interesting that the the kids haven't done anything bad, right? It's not like a carry I mean, level kind of scheme. Yeah. So like, um, and then like it shows the the slumber party girls and they're they're talking about their totally not dated drugs that they have available, like poppers yeah. and uppers and lewds and <laughs> yeah, like, and crystal meth. He also mentions crystal yeah. meth. So they've been around for a while. <laughs> Get them teeth just falling out at this party. Yeah. Um, and one of the girls ends up locked in the school, right? Yeah, we get a a good shot of the killer's perspective through the side view mirror. I like that shot. Um, that's important. Ac- that's important too, because I think in so many ways, the movie is trying to say the same. And, and uh, again, I'll talk about this more as we go on. Mm-hmm. I think so much of this movie is trying to make you go, "Hey, the way that you're feeling about all these underage, bodacious yeah. ladies, and look at their butts and boobs." That's how the killer feels too. Yeah, that's creepy. You're and, being creepy. And it shows yeah. it shows him in the mirror as though to kind of imply that. Um, yeah, that might be re- me reading that into that too much, but it seems relevant. Our our first boob shot is actually a mirror shot too. That's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And so like the mirror shots are um, they occur a couple times and. Yeah, we'll talk about later boob shots. This movie's deeper than The Shining, dude. Absolutely. Room 237, <laughs> get the fuck out. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah, uh, Linda, she gets uh, locked in when she goes back in to grab something from her locker in the gym. Mm-hmm. And, and she gets locked in with our uh, esteemed killer, Russ Thorne. Yeah, and he's running after her with the drill and all this stuff. He's, he's got his power drill kind of thing. He slashes her arm and stuff. And I think something that's interesting, too, is like as the as the pursuit is going on, they run they run back into the shower room. Like this form, yeah. this formerly like this room that you were so like hot and bothered by just like a minute ago. Yeah. And then you yeah. see the reality of like a man chasing a woman down with this phallic, very rapey weapon. And it's like, hey, is it still sexy? Do you like this now? I think it's really yeah. making I think it's really making you stare that down. Yes. Yeah. It's, I love the message behind this. And I also love uh, none of the female characters make what I would call stupid slasher film moves. Right. Linda, she, she doesn't like just see a drill and start screaming and get killed. She runs. She hides. She like almost hides successfully she hides and behind a locked door she's trying to like keep the blood flowing from her arm from going under the the door and 
uh, she can't, she's bleeding too much, and he sees the blood under the door. Like there, She made no stupid move, I would say. I mean, if, if you were in that situation, yeah. I don't know how differently. She didn't smooth move x like that one. And then, like, yeah. whenever whenever the killer sees the blood leaking out from under the door, there's that ultra-phallic, just glory hole shot of the drill going through the door. And it kind of gives it the old in and out, even a few times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, uh, I, I think I've said before on episodes, uh, it doesn't exactly matter to me what the filmmaker intended with their film. It's what you, you get out of it. But she... Uh, Amy Holden Jones has said she intended for this film to represent the fear that women have of having sex for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so the use of the drill and having to penetrate the door and the blood coming out from under the door oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, it's a it's a good symbol, I think. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then um, we have kind of a superfluous little scene there of the coach, the basketball coach earlier coming home and. There's, yeah. a, there's a psych out where a drill comes through her door, uh-huh. but it's actually the handy woman, Pam, installing her new yeah. pinhole and stuff. And it's like, that's pointless. Pam never comes back. Well, I think what this does set up is just a slight nod to the fact that the coach is probably gay. Yeah, yeah. There's some there's some lesbian overtones there. Yeah, because yeah, we, we see the person drilling her door is a woman. Yeah. And the... There's no man at home. She doesn't come home to a boyfriend or a husband. She comes home to look for her cat and make herself a quesadilla. So <laughs> that's true. Like, yeah. I, again, I think there's a nod here to like a women being independent. Maybe she's not a lesbian, but at least she is independent. She's needless and of don't a man. Need a man. We'll, we'll at least put it that way. She don't yeah. need no man. And, and then we get Valerie, and Valerie's on the phone, and she hears the door knock, and the door is open. And then she goes and sits down and plays, like, the most goddamn out-of-tune piano of all time. Oh, God. It's, it's so horrendous. fuck. It's awful. Yeah. And somebody's um, in the house, but then it turns out to be the neighbor guy. And he's like, oh, I was just checking in on you. Yeah, and again, this is a good thing. She hears a noise upstairs, runs to the door. Yeah. She doesn't run upstairs to check on it. She runs to the door. Yeah. Um, and we'll see that we see that again. It cuts back to the coach's house after that, and she like knocks over a glass. Then she hears a noise. She picks up the biggest shard of that glass, and she goes to inspect it. So like we see that throughout the movie that True. they're arming themselves. Yeah, they're they the women aren't making the dumb move. That's true. I actually that that actually thing about her breaking the glass. That's one of those things in my notes I had crossed out because I thought it was unimportant. But you're right. She does like. Yeah. Arm herself with that. That's a good point. Yeah. And then we get Jeff and uh, apparently Neil. And Neil, they're like yeah. walking around the neighborhood with their bikes and stuff. And they're like, yeah, let's let's go by the slumber party and scare the girls. And they walk by, which they kind of use the, the killer's van as kind of like the Mike Myers car in Halloween. Uh-huh. Where every time you see yeah. it, it's like, oh, shit, it's a car. He's in there. Oh, also cool about this conversation is they say they're going to go scare the girls. And Jeff or Neil says, uh... <laughs> Uh, they might beat us up. And the other one says, that's true. We did flunk Jim like three times. So the male characters shown in this are like ineffectual. Like they're not Uh like, we're not seeing the jocks uh, so much. I mean, we do see one jock and that is Diane's uh, boyfriend that we meet right after that. Yeah. His name is John. I just have him as ginger. I didn't even catch his name either. (laughs) Yeah. 
but I mean, he, his jockness never plays into the entirety of the film. So, and so then Trish's uh, the other girls arrive at Trish's place, and they have beer, and they have themselves some Maui Wowie. Yeah, There's little Maui Wowie. Damn. You know, I I wish we had recorded this yesterday on 420. Am I right, bro? Oh, bro, uh, blazing. Right. Maui Wowie. Roast in a bone. <laughs> so then the, <laughs> the the neighbor guy leaves. And that's when we, we go back to Valerie's house. Valerie lives across the street from the slumber yeah. party. And she's making some, some, some Kool-Aid with her sister, Courtney, right? Uh-huh. And I, Courtney, I think, is a super important character because in all of those exploitation movies, uh, you always have a pervy, like, 13, 14-year-old boy and everybody in the theater is like, ha, 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 he's wanting to have sex, etc. He's naughty. He wants them boobies. Right. So, with Courtney, we get exactly that, but a girl. Yeah, you're right, actually, because she's always after some boys. Uh-huh. And here in a second, yep. we'll see with the playgirl and stuff. Yeah. That's yeah, an interesting I... point. Yeah, because there is always that boy who's, like, peeping through the hole in the fence and stuff right. like this. But actually, in this movie, it's, it's the girl, yeah. which she's actually, like, 35, I think. <laughs> yeah probably and uh but i think she's supposed to be playing like 14 or so yeah seems that way she she's in between like she obviously is into guys but she's also pretending she's not a little bit it's it's yeah so she's like a young teenager yeah and uh we go back to the slumber party where they're all hanging out and smoking dope and stuff Talking shit about Diane, of course. Just talking some mad shit about her. And then she's like at the window <laughs> or something, right? Yeah, she she makes a noise at the window. It's one of the millions of jump scares in this movie. And just the psych out jump scares where it's just like, oh, no, that, no, it's just pointless. Yeah, and the predominant number of them, I think this is interesting. <laughs> and again, this may just be that I, I really believe this is like a parody film. If you pay attention, the characters are not scared by the jump scares. Hmm. So, like, it does, like, a musical sting, or it'll do, like, the, you know, the quick flash to it, but the characters are just like, oh, hey. <laughs> I didn't, so, I didn't I, notice I, that. And then across the street, Courtney is getting out her Playgirl with Sylvester Stallone on it. Old Sly Stallone, yeah. Valerie goes up, because everybody wants to see fucking Sly's dick. And then it goes back to the slumber party where we see the Neil and Jeff have arrived, and they're peeping on the girls from the window yeah. and the girl and again okay. dude this is like exactly like the shower scene where uh -huh. it's like if you asked a 15 year old boy hey what do you think happens at a girl's slumber party he's like i don't know i guess they hang out and talk and like take their boobs out and stuff and uh yeah because it's exactly what happens in the scene they peer in the window just as the girls are changing clothes and like taking the boobs out and stuff and they're, like, staring and peeping in. And I have no idea how the girls don't notice. I mean, they're right in front of the fucking Yeah, window. it would be impossible. They would absolutely notice. I think uh, this is the last boob scene. Um, I think you're right. And I think if you pay attention to each of the three boob scenes, the artifice of, of film is called out. In the opening scene, we get a mirror shot, and it's mm. actually, like, this sort of fuzzy uh, focus. Um in the shower scene, it's, like, so prominent that, like, the camera freezes, hands yeah, camera down the butt. Mm. Yeah, like, it, it's so prominent. And here, 
we see all of it through the frame of the window. So, hmm. like, I think, you know, what you're saying as to, like, how this movie calls out, like, the male gaze, like, I think this is, this is it. It, like, calls out these boob scenes as particularly for the male gaze. And it also, I mean, by the way that you're saying it, too, is as far as it, those are the parts that it makes it very obvious that it's movie magic, camera movement, yeah. and stuff like this. It's like it's showing you this is unreality. Like, yeah, girls' slumber parties aren't just hot chicks. Yeah, they're not like out. that. And sh- girl showers aren't just girls being like, "Wow, your tits got bigger," and then soapy butts. It's like it's it's not really like that. it's kind of showing you. Yeah, this is fucking fake, dude. From slumber parties with my wife, I I know that boobs eventually do come out at yes. some point, uh-huh. but. Oh, of not all at once. <laughs> and back at the slumber party, they're like, they're. It, it's so funny, dude. I'm looking at my notes, and I have so many parts where it's like, I know it's supposed to be Trish, but I have Valerie written down because they're fucking interchangeable. Yeah. They're yeah, both they are. Just they're like both... attractive white brunette girls. Yeah, they're both good girls. Like, they're not bad people. Like, yeah. So there's, Trish is arra- yeah, arranging some Twinkies and Cheetos and stuff on a plate, and they talk about ordering uh, a <laughs> high pizza, class a pizza. And Diane goes out and goes to get some logs for the fire or something like this, and we see like the image of a male hand on like a meat cleaver, and we're like, "Oh shit, it's the killer!" Yeah, but no, it's Mr. Content. So <laughs> why, why, why? Because I don't he understand. Hunts snails at nighttime. At the neighbor's yeah. house with a meat cleaver, like you do. Yeah. Because he chops a snail in half. Yeah, he likes to do it organically. Why the uh, fuck he would said. you do that? Well, here in the California, we get the snails and they they eat up uh, they eat up all the the nice uh, flowers and things. The things that are nice. Yeah. Bastard How often snails. do you go over to your neighbor's place and hunt the snails with the meat cleaver? Oh, just on snail hunting nights. Uh, ah. It's normally Tuesdays. Ah, okay. I didn't know if it was yeah. like during like a lunar eclipse or something like this. Oh, you're uh, okay. You're talking about the wear snail, and that is a whole different thing. But yes, the entirety of the city of L.A. does have to search for a person who was bitten by a snail during a full moon who turns into a wear snail. It's everybody it makes, knows it, it was in sense. that. It was. It was in I Love L.A., right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's all. Yeah. And this is an interesting thing, because, like, Diane goes goes back inside with the firewood and stuff, and then the the neighbor, Mr. What did you say? Cotton? Content, they say. He he gets drill killed. And there's a funny thing about this, because I was was watching the first part of this movie uh, with my wife, and uh, (laughs) she has the most (laughs) acute gaydar of anybody on Earth. Yes. And um, the very first scene where it showed him, like at the first of the movie in the, the driveway and stuff. Or, oh, Mr. Content. Yeah. yeah, where it showed Mr. Content. Like, my wife was like, oh, so he's he's gay, huh? He seems that way. Yeah, he comes off as he comes off as perhaps gay. And, and again, you know, he's living a bachelor lifestyle. I, I think, like, I, I think a lot of effort was made to uh, normalize, um, maybe not, like, right make gay characters but to normalize non-family living like a single people and so my wife pointed out that she thought that he was gay and then he gets penetrated he gets drill killed Mm -hmm. um, he does by the killer there which i think is kind of a uh, like after she pointed that i was like oh 
Well, there you go. He did get uh, male penetrated. <laughs> penetrated. <laughs> and that's oh. how it should always be said. And uh, so that's that's the third kill so far. Right. Um, and this movie, this is still pretty early in the movie. There's a lot of people to go. Yes. Yes, indeed. There's just a bunch of bullshit there where they're like, oh, I hear a noise. Let's go check the garage. Okay, no, there's nothing there. It's just, but you see the killer shadow. Just a bunch of bullshit. We learned that uh, the garage door needs to be locked, which will come into play for a couple of kills later. Right. But that's, again, uh, it's, again, just a lot of I heard a noise. Let's go check it out. But everybody goes to check it out. That is a, a point I think that is important. All of the girls in the slumber party, when there's an issue, they're all like, hey, let's go together. Right. Which is in contrast to the boys later who are like, we should split up. Uh-huh. Exactly. And uh, I guess kind of the next thing of relevance is we get that shot of Courtney, the little sister, Valerie's little sister. And she's reading her Playgirl magazine and she's eating a big old lollipop. Yeah. Which, again, dude, like I cannot help but think that that was totally made to play into the... Yep. The typical, the typical male fantasy of wanting an underaged girl who is still sexually awakened. Yeah. Do you yeah, know what I, I mean? Because, like, I mean, yeah. okay, the actress, clearly, the actress is, like, in her mid-20s at least. But we're told over and over, oh, she's a little sister. She's underage and all yeah. that stuff. And she's sucking on a lollipop, but then she's, like, looking at Playgirl. It's I, I don't know. There's just this whole, like, trying to make you feel like a pedophile thing while you watch the movie. And then also, uh, whenever Val comes in to get her Playgirl, uh, she picks up a, a banana peel. Yeah, what? And uh, so there's like a banana, like she stuck a banana in her pussy joke, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Dude, that's so that like that scene comes and goes in like two seconds, and you're like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, and then she also accuses Courtney of uh, uh, beating off guys in fifth grade. Yeah, uh, what? And, yeah, and again, this that, conversation that's, is that's totally that that thing that that males want the young girl who's yeah sexually awakened well, but still young and dumb and innocent. Yeah, I mean that's a, it's an interesting play. Like I, I think it it could make uh, audiences uncomfortable. Whereas if it were a young teenage boy, it's a joke. Yeah, or so, it's hot. Yeah, so like. Yeah, I, I think it, it it makes a good point. It's an interesting element to add, for sure. And then the lights go off at the slumber party, and the girls go out to check the fuse box, and the killer's watching them. And then it's like, oh, psych, it's the boys. It's actually not the killer, it's the boys. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> one of them gets just cracked in the head with a flashlight because yes. these girls don't take no shit. Yeah. Like, they weren't like, oh, no, they're just like, Bam, like right in the head. And so um, then like right after that scene where it's like, oh, the killer's there, psych, it's the boys. Then we go to that other scene where like Valerie's outside um, and Courtney jumps out at Valerie and grabs her. And you're like, it's the killer. Yeah, no, it's psych, it's just Courtney. There's like, there's two with a knife in fucking for a row. reason. Yeah, she has a knife. Yep. Why does she have a knife? And so then back at the slumber party there, what'd you say the ginger, Diane's boyfriend, the ginger guy, John, is that what you said? John Minor is his name, yeah. God, I just have Ginger because I never even got his name. He's the only one with like a full name except for the the killer. <laughs> yeah, and then um, we have Valerie and Courtney together, and uh, Courtney has the idea of like, oh, let's go over there and, and crash the party and stuff. 
Yeah, but Val doesn't want to go over there. You know, it's, even though she was invited and things, Val, Val's got like some depth of character that we don't go into. She's obviously dealing with some issues. Um, she's supposed to watch her sister, but she also was like embarrassed that they were going to invite her to the party. So she like tried to slip out early and like, uh, I don't know. I, I, it is interesting that the actress who played her, Robin Still, mm-hmm. uh, she did commit suicide. She Jeez. did suffer from depression. So I, I don't know if the depth of her character is just the depth of her as a person coming out, that there's obviously just something weighing on her. Damn. But that's what it seems like throughout the movie, like, that there's something weighing on Val that just probably shouldn't be right right damn and then we see we see john and diane and they're making out in the car in the garage and stuff and the girl the other slumber party girls are in the kitchen with uh jeff and and neil and actually there is one more boob shot while they're making out that's the last of the oh right yeah that's right because he pulls up her shirt that's right and john is like oh let's let's leave let's go to my parents house they're not home or whatever uh she goes in to i guess you know say what she's gonna do and do and this is one of my favorite one of my favorite subtext scenes in the movie. Okay, so like Are you, you said, talking about the hot dogs? Fuck yeah, I'm talking about the hot okay. dogs. Okay. <laughs> so like earlier, like you said, that dude got clocked with the flashlight in the face and uh-huh. the, the girls are in the kitchen. Alec object. Yes. Oh, dude. Yeah. And uh, he's like, oh, I think I'm going to have a black eye. And she's like, is there anything we can do for that? And he's like, well, if you have a steak, I could put a, a steak on my uh-huh. eye and that'll, that'll help right. the black eye go away. And she's like, well, we don't have any, but we do have these. And she pulls out two hot dogs, two wieners, and uh-huh. tries to put them on his face. And he's like, oh, no. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she wants to put wieners on his face. Yeah. And, uh, you know. And he's like, no. That, it, that means something to him. There's like a sexual element to it. Yeah. I love it. That's one of those. Like, I thought about it later. And I was like, wait, she tried to put wieners on his face. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And it, we're going to talk about a stare here in a little bit too but uh so the the pizza guy well that's when that's that's when diane goes she goes into the house to be like hey me and oh yeah yeah. going on a beer run and then she goes back out to the garage and that's where john is like dead in the car and then the killer the killer is in the garage there and this is when we get just like the way ultra phallic shot of like Diane is like down on the ground, like crap, like kind yeah. of. Uh, and he just raises it. Are he has it like dangling between his legs? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a really, it's a really like iconic shot and just super, super, super phallic. And she's like super scared and like the drill like extends down between his legs and stuff. And then that's when the pizza guy shows up. Yeah, and the, I mean, this it's impossible in in space. <laughs> And time that this happens because the pizza guy shows up like this cuts to that. The the guys go up to the door and they say, what's the damage? Like before they open the door or anything. And six so far. Six so far. It's Russ Thorne. Yeah. Uh, The six would be, of course, those first three. And now um, and now uh, Diane, John and 
pizza guy who we discover when they open the door has had his eyes drilled out. Although he's still standing on his feet. Yeah. Unlikely. Unlikely. Yeah, <laughs> unlikely. But, um, so they drag the body into the house and close the door and they lock all the doors and windows. Smart. Yeah. Absolutely smart. And they begin to call 911, but he cuts the phone line. And that before that, too, though, one of the girls, uh, I think it was Kim, she called the coach, the coach that we saw from earlier, to, like, learn about the yes. scores in the game. And that's when, like, the other girls that saw the dead body scream. And so you see the coach hears the screams over the phone, and then and then the phone line gets cut. Yeah. And so the coach calls Val. Yeah. Val and Courtney also had heard some screams yeah uh and so the coach asks val if she would go check on it but then she is her mind because you know she's like oh right i'm asking a teenager to perhaps put themselves in danger so she drives over but she doesn't call the cops and my wife had a problem with this and i don't let me tell you why she seemed like a cool teacher she seemed like the type of teacher that the kids really like and they think they can like talk to about stuff mm -hmm. she knows that they're having a party she doesn't want to call the cops on them because what if they were just giggling in the background there wasn't some screaming and suddenly the cops are there and they've got beer and stuff i think it fits the character that she didn't call the cops and she just decides to drive over right yeah exactly and then that's when like yeah, you know, the boys are like, let's split up and, and investigate outside and try to figure out what's going on out here. Maybe we should go to Val's and and all that kind of stuff. They have this look between them. Yeah. Just this, they talk about how it, it's the right thing to do. Now, I don't know what makes them think that the right thing to do when someone has been murdered is to leave the home that is locked up and safe. How is this right? Like <laughs> yeah. what? In what world? Who is are that they helping? Do? Yeah. Um, anyway, they take knives and go separate directions. Yeah. <laughs> and and one of the boys goes out to the garage, which is where we see Diane fall from the rafters, which is just a direct rip off of Halloween. Yeah. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. direct. Like I'm just sort yeah. of falling and swaying upside down from the ramp. It's yeah. exactly like that. And then uh, that dude, I don't know if it's Neil or Jeff. I don't fight. Does it matter? He gets drilled. <laughs> and he dies. Yeah. He gets drilled. And he gets now, drilled like from the back. It's a pretty good looking shot. Pretty good looking death. Now, on the other end, pretty great. I really like this sequence. Uh, Jeff or Neil, whichever one's the other one, oh, yeah. is running to, running to Val's. Val's and Val is watching a horror movie very loud, which I believe again, isn't that that's from something. <laughs> this is absolutely happened in another horror movie where she's listening to the the movie really loud and she can't hear him at the door and he's trying to get in. Now yes. that's very much that's when, also very much like Halloween when Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. is like banging on the doors of her neighbors being like, Let me in and nobody's letting her in and stuff. It's just directly out of Halloween. Yeah. So Russ shows up and the Jeff or Neil, uh, like <laughs> Neil Jeff, him. Neil Jeff fights him. And this tussle is great. Like the, the like he doesn't, uh, he doesn't get to use his drill on Neil Jeff. Uh, yes. He gets 
knife away from Neil Jeff and then has to like fight with him to eventually stab him. Now there's a thing in that scene right there that you're talking about during that that knife fight between Neil Jeff and the killer. And yeah. while they're fighting, it's interspersed with these shots of Val inside of her house watching a violent movie on TV. Yes. And, and there's three things that it shows during that scene. There's shots of what Val is watching on TV, and she's seeing like a violent murder scene on TV. Yeah. And sh- and then there's shots of her eyes watching it, and then there's shots of Neil Jeff and the killer fighting in real you know uh-huh. quote, real life with real yeah. violence and stuff. I think that scene is supposed to be directly analogous to us sitting here watching butts and boobs and lusting after these girls and thinking about what we do to them and then also seeing on screen how horrific and awful it is when a male acts on what I would like to do to them, which is the symbolic rape killing of the of the drill and stuff. I think it's supposed yeah. to draw attention to that. Yeah, it seems that way. That's uh, well-reasoned. I like that. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I thought that was I thought that was a really like that's probably about the most like I think kind of deep thoughts seen in there, you know. It's an interesting idea too that she's watching a an ad like a like a film adaptation of a death, and right outside her door, there's an actual death occurring. Exactly, and what we're watching yeah. in this movie is film adaptations of of. Uh, of sex and perviness and stuff from the male perspective. And then also in the movie, we see the reality of it. Yeah. Of how it's, it's, great. it's, it's not sexy or, or glamorous or anything like that. Yeah. It's, this, it's this might cool just idea. be the thoughts of a man that lives with like the most mega feminist wife of all time. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I, yeah, I listen, my wife, she would be a feminist if I'd let her. I just, I feel like, uh, listen, I'll I'll read the feminism and I'll tell you what you need to hear. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> no, my wife is an ardent feminist, as is her mother, as is my mother and my grandmother. I was raised by some some hardcore ladies, so Yeah. Yeah, same. Same, 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 man. Okay, so the the girls are sitting and I love this. This is actually almost absolutely like mimicked later in a community Halloween episode, the girls are sitting back to back to back with the protection uh, of a wall nearby. No, no, uh, no nearby windows. Uh huh. And they all have knives. Uh, and they, uh, when there was an episode of community where they all told horror stories and Abed's horror story was of course overly logical. And that's what this is. Like, it's it's super logical. This is what you would do. You wouldn't, like, go looking. And um, so what happens is the girls, they hear a knocking at the door. And it's um, Neil Jeff, one of the, whoever was drilled in the, the garage. I think it's Jeff. Yeah, he survived. He's he's drug himself to the door and he's trying to get them to open the door, but he can't like cry out and they think, you know, it's the killer, so they don't do anything. Right. Okay. And he, he dies. <laughs> and uh it's interesting, like a pretty brutal scene. Um Val finds Courtney who's like playing dead out there for some reason. Yeah. 
and she's like, oh, I guess they're not home because Val knocked on the front door and they didn't answer. Oh, that's after the girls run upstairs and barricade themselves in the upstairs bedroom. There you go. And that's they, right. Yeah, and they hear her knocking downstairs. And Jackie thinks, you know, uh, she is going to get killed and she wants to, like, help her. And she runs down and running downstairs, of course, gets her drilled. Right. She opens or and there's there's rust because Val and and Courtney have already you know uh, moved on right and there's just kind of like there's a whole bunch of kind of cat and mouse in this stuff where it's like yeah the killer comes in through the window and then like Trish hits him with a bat or something right yeah and uh him gets killed it's drilled Trish hits him with a bat Trish um runs. Uh, he, Russ goes downstairs and, and Courtney is hiding under a couch. Yeah. Russ covers himself to pretend to be a corpse. Cause I guess he knows the coach is coming somehow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was kind of weird. He like drags the dead yeah. pizza guy out and then puts yeah. himself under there, under the blanket. Yeah. Yeah. It's very so, weird. Coach shows up and there's a, a scuffle with, with the coach and the, uh, uh, and Russ and uh, Trish runs in and just stabs the shit out of him. Yeah. After Courtney uh, trips him, Trish runs in and stabs the shit out of him. Uh, and the tells Trish to run. And Trish runs and and Val is downstairs in the basement at this point. Oh, dude, it's so dumb. <laughs> Yeah, and, and yo, uh, oh. I'll, I'll point out before all that stuff happens. There's also one of my favorite scenes in there, where for some reason, Val and Courtney are in the slumber party house, and they're by the fridge. Oh yeah, and and Courtney keeps in the fridge, saying yeah. she's gonna like look for a beer. And Kim, her dead body is in the fridge, so she opens the 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 fridge, but they are not looking in the fridge, so the body sort of falls out. There's clearly and then, no like, shelves in that fridge. The... Like, you can't fit all yeah. the corpse in a fridge. if there, There's usually shelves right. in there. That's not possible. <laughs> it is some good comedy. But I then, mean... <laughs> what, what I like about that, too, again, there's more like male pervy stuff in that scene, because Courtney wants to get a beer from the fridge, and Val goes, she's like, Courtney, everybody knows you're underage. And then the yeah. camera just like pans on her butt. That's true. On her yeah. like underage butt, just to make you feel gross about yourself. Mm-hmm. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I guess. Okay. <laughs> I know so I did. One, one of okay. This this I think is a very important, funny moment in this. Um, Val is in the basement. The coach is now dead. Um, She's Trish the has stabbed brothers of the movie for sure. The coach is. Yeah, she is. Yeah, exactly. We see, yeah, it's absolutely the scatman. We see, like, her traveling a long way and then basically just getting killed. <laughs> um, Val's in the basement, and she's looking for a weapon, and she sees a circular saw. She grabs it and turns it on and starts running up the stairs, and then the cord of the saw yanks her and pulls her back. It's like Looney Tunes. It goes boing. It's so funny. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> God, dude, it's so dumb. Like that's one of those moments of just extreme dumbness. It's so funny though, like because it's. I mean, most people, if you saw a circular saw, they wouldn't think about the fact that it has to 
plugged in. Yeah. It's not a gas-powered circular saw. <laughs> this is powered funny. by think... Tesla coil. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so she then uh, uh, finds a machete, which is, you know, the gr- it's a great slasher Classic. weapon. Finds a machete, and she goes to, you know, help out. Now, And that's when we get the killer, the first time that we hear him talking, and he's talking to Trish, who he's about to kill, right? And he he lays out this monologue, dude, it is just like, it is the epitome of what this movie is trying to say to the male viewer. Um, yeah. He says like, and he's, he's actually like pretty turbo creepy. He's like, you're so pretty. All of you are very pretty. I love you. It takes a lot of love for a person to do this. Yeah, it's some it's some neckbeard shit. Like it's a- and the thing is, is like that's what again. Yeah, the male viewer is feeling this whole movie when he's seeing underage girls' butt and shower scenes and slumber party boobs. It's just like, oh, they're all so pretty. Wow. Ooh. Right. Yeah. It's showing so, like- you that it's like, hey, th- by the way, this is you. Like all these thoughts uh-huh. you've been having this whole movie. This is this is what you look like. Again, I think absolutely a uh, very smart move on uh, Jones's part to take Roger Corman's requirement of nudity and turn it into something that like means something. Yeah. And then he's like, you know, you want it. You love it. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's creepy. It's creepy shit. And that's when like Valerie appears and like the killer yeah. runs, runs outside to the pool. She's got the machete and stuff. And she, fucking chops his drill bit in half with a machete there's no this symbol yeah she castrates him it's absolutely clear like she just cuts his dick in half she and then he he like looks at the drill bit that's cut in half at like how puny and ineffective it is and he's like yeah and then she cuts off his hand and it is weirdly brutal she hacks it off. Just yeah. hacks that hand. It's off. it's, it's not, great. It's not like a Mrs. Voorhees one slash lopped off kind of thing. Like there's a few quick cuts, literally, of her hacking at his hand like three or four times, and he's like screaming bloody murder. And yeah, it it looks pretty. It's pretty disturbing looking. It's 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 the kind of thing that like really kind of jarred me awake whenever it happened because like oh god damn like that's actually yep. pretty brutal and it's. Yeah, yeah. And if if pay attention to the kills up to this point, um, the kills that have been the most graphic uh, are the time where Neil Jeff gets killed in front of Val's house, and the killer himself being killed. Yeah. Everything else we don't exactly see what happens. No, mm-hmm. but in in these instances, the two men getting killed that they're the most in fact actually um the other neil jeff his killing is very graphic because he survived the first drilling like yeah (laughs) he just dies of natural causes yeah like the the spectacle we're seeing is the men being killed graphically and the women uh die but we don't see so much of it you know another movie that does that uh only to a way more extreme level and reversed is uh uh, Miyake Takashi's Ichi the Killer. Uh huh. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. That movie. Yeah. That's one of those we could do like a damn five-hour show on because it is. Yeah. yeah. Fucking <laughs> crazy. But like in that movie, it is. Re- 
ridiculously violent, but it's like all of the male deaths are almost like cartoonish. Uh huh. And then like the female, like the violence towards the females in the movie is just yeah. like hard to watch, brutal. It's fucking yeah. awful. Um, kind of kind of similar to that. You're right. Yeah, like the male deaths in this movie are definitely the most the most brutal. And uh, so she she chops his hand off and like slashes his belly and he falls into the pool. And she a lot does of blood the, in the pool. Yeah, and she does the horror movie trope. She throws the machete down, and then Courtney shows up, and they hug and stuff. And the killer, uh, Russ, like he comes up stub first out of the pool. Yeah, that was cool. I like that. That yeah, was a good shot. I did too. And then Trish arrives, and um, the killer is like about to like jump on Valerie, but she grabs the machete, and uh, he is he is finally his undoing is being penetrated and impaled. In a very in a very sexual posture, and he goes, "Oh, like, yeah, her on bottom, large, like erect machete. Yeah, he falls on it, like impales himself on it. Yeah, and he makes a he, he moans, hoisted on his own petard. <laughs> and uh, then the girls are just kind of laying there crying as the killer's dead, and there, you hear police sirens, and that's where the movie the movie wraps up. Yeah, yeah. So uh, and you know, um." We covered that in a little bit less time than the actual movie. The movie's only like an hour and ten minutes. Yeah. Um, and could have been shorter, certainly. It, I mean, like, ser- seriously, you can sum up the yeah. movie in like two sentences. Yeah. It's really yeah. an extremely simplistic plot. And, and, and like yeah. I said, it's it's one of those that like... You know how like whenever you watch... Okay, like let's say whenever you watch like This is Spinal Tap... While mm-hmm. you're sitting there, you don't really laugh that much out loud while you're just sitting there watching. Right. It. But then when right. you get together with your friends and you're like, oh, it goes to 11 and fucking you can't dust for yeah. vomit. Like you laugh about it in the afterthought. Yeah. Like I've had way more fun talking about this movie with you than I, I did watching it. It's one of those things. <laughs> it's way more fun to discuss than it is to watch. Yeah. I, I would agree. I mean, uh, I've I've seen it several times in my life. Uh, I've found I've found enjoyment in it by l- knowing the context and 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 whatnot. I think to to get a sense of Amy, Amy Holden Jones could have been uh, Joe Dante. She could have been any of these other directors that came through and directed a few horror movies and moved on mm-hmm. to bigger and better things. She could have been that, and, and she would have been, absolutely. In fact, could have been even bigger uh, had she been given the chance to direct Mystic Pizza. The movie right. she wrote, it's a movie that was, uh, I would say, seemingly maliciously given to a director who had no experience when she had already directed two feature films. She got divorced um, on that one. Yeah, yeah, she did. <laughs> um, so it's it's interesting to see like what she did with this small budget, with inexperienced actors, with not a lot of time to shoot, and with uh, a script that you know she overhauled completely. So uh, I, again, like as you said, watching the movie itself is, is not great. So if if I'm giving this uh, a rating. Uh, I I gotta go maybe four. Yeah, it, it's certainly certainly 
better than a ton of slasher films out there, but it's also not as good as a whole lot more slasher films. So Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, because really, you could take a movie like, honestly, like a movie like Halloween has a really similar premise where it's just like there's a killer who wants to kill some people. Yeah. And so he does. Yeah. And that's basically the plot. And somehow yeah. <laughs> it's it's way more fun to watch than, than this is. Um, I'm with yeah. you. In terms of like watching fun, I would say like three out of ten. Mm. But subtext fun and talking fun, this is like a seven or eight out of ten. Um, oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, there's re- so much to it. To me, really, one of the really defining things about this flick, especially the way it's paced and stuff like this and what they show you and what – and what you feel as a horny male watcher watching this movie, um, it's you know the, the whole movie while you're watching all these like beautiful girls because that's that's the thing, dude. There's yeah. no girls in this movie that aren't ridiculously hot. They're all oh, yeah, really, they're all pretty. Yeah, like, absolutely. The coaches, the teachers, like everybody's yeah. hot. Everybody's very pretty. Yeah. And so basically, the whole movie, you're going, oh man, wow, they're all so pretty. Wow, I love that chick. Wow. Uh-huh. And then one of the last things after you've really gotten, you know, into the movie there, one of the last things that happens with the killer is he basically voices your thoughts. He goes, "You're all so pretty. Yeah. I love you. You know you want it." Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a really cool thing to do cuz that happens so late in the movie that like you're already so entrenched in your own you know, dirty thoughts about all these girls, and then you watch that, oh, yeah. the bad guy agrees with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it, it makes you feel a special sort of shame, doesn't it? Uh, I think that's a good uh, thing to bring out from slasher films, is that slasher films are known for showing the killer's point of view and therefore making the the audience the killer. Right. Now... We don't we don't identify with the killer. We're just seeing through his vision, etc. But here we're forced. If you're if you're watching the film exploitation point of view, you're watching it just to see boobs, right? And to see gore, pretty girls. Um, yeah, see pretty girls. Uh, you're 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 seeing all this, and then it's just like it's labeled for you what it is that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It tells uh, you what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I like yeah, I think very much. And I can't, th- I can't relate yeah. that to really any other movie I've seen where it like, it calls out the viewer. <laughs> says, yeah. Hey, this I, is you being a pervert, by the way, this is you, this is how you talk, which is part of why it's so interesting that the killer is so ordinary looking because you're so ordinary looking. Yep. You know, it's like you don't look yep. like Mike Myers, you don't look like Freddy Krueger, you look like this guy. He's just a guy wearing denim. Yeah. It's like that could be anybody. You look like an average height uh, white male, and you <laughs> and, and you have the same thoughts as him. They're pretty. You know, you want it. You know. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Yeah, I like it too. Um and. Also, I, I would heap tons of praise on this movie and say that definitely uh, check out um, there's a, a documentary called Nightmare in Red, White, and Blue, which is about the uh, rise of the American slasher film. Yeah. And it, it's great. It's yes, a really it great documentary uh, and also talks about this movie. And Amy Holden Jones is consulted throughout. Uh, and I think those documentarians treated 
uh, Jones as she should be treated as one of the important early slasher film filmmakers, uh, specifically for uh, giving us a, a true like female uh, vision of a slasher film. Instead of just making, she could have just given us a slasher film um, where you know there's a final girl. I mean, in this there are three final girls, right? Uh, where there's there's only one final girl, and there's a lot of like drug use and sex, and and you know people making stupid moves, and, and that would have sold just fine. I mean, this movie made money off a two hundred thousand dollar budget, so uh, uh, any changes. It wouldn't have like made it make more money. She was able to make a good, uh, uh, an okay version of a slasher, and, and introduce some new ideas into the slasher film genre. What uh, what movie would you like to watch for our next episode, there, Stephen? Well, uh, I think uh, we we agree that next time we are gonna watch High Tension. High Tension. Which is the 2004 Alexandra Aha? Is that how his last name is pronounced? Aha. <laughs> Another take on me reference. Or is it like the Steely Dan record Aja? I don't know. You know what? I'm going to go with Steely Dan. I'm going to go with Steely Dan. Yeah. I fucking love Steely Dan, man. So High Tension is not a film I have seen. So, And this I'm is, uh, I think this is probably a first for the show where like, uh, as I've discussed, me being kind of a late bloomer to horror and Steven being a lifelong horror guy, it's not often that I have seen a horror movie that Steve hasn't. But I That's watched true. I watched this movie probably about, I don't know, eight or nine months ago. Um, I watched it on Showtime, I think, like the Showtime Go app. Showtime at the Apollo? Showtime at the Apollo is what I watched. Were on. people booing it? Yes, people were, but Sandman was there, all kinds of stuff. Uh-huh, came and swept it off. Exactly, yeah. you know how he does. And uh-huh. uh, I think it's fucking badass. And actually, um, it is also a female-centric movie, so that's yeah. something that will kind of continue our theme here. I guess we kind of did The Witch, then Exorcist, now we got Slumber Party, then High Tension. Um, it's yeah. awesome as shit. It's also ridiculously brutal at times. Um yeah. It's what French, right? Heard. Yes, it is French. And the version that I've watched was um, it was dubbed, um, which I think I think might bug some people. But being a fan of all the Italian horror stuff, which is all dubbed, uh-huh. I'm totally fine yeah. with it. So it didn't it didn't bug me at all. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited. I uh, have not watched it. Actually, the reason I think I haven't seen it is because uh, I used to be Mormon. Didn't watch R-rated movies when I was Mormon. God, it's and, true. I know, and I was serving my mission when this movie came out. <laughs> I was in the land of Russia. Russia. Oh, my God, man. That's awesome. So you had a multitude of reasons to not see high attention, but now we're yeah, going to break excited that streak. Yeah, I, I can't wait for you to watch it because it's really – it's one of my favorite horror flicks from this side of the millennium. All right. And this will prove to those kids once and for all that we know the 21st century happened. Fuck yeah. It exists. Assholes. Just because we didn't grow up in it doesn't mean it didn't happen. (laughs) Jesus. Anyway. Well, where can they find us on them internets to get in touch with us and all that jazz? 
Well, you can always email us at deadandlovelypod at gmail.com, mm-hmm. or you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at deadlovelypod. Dead lovely pod. We yeah. also have a Facebook group, I believe. Yes, that's true. And I'd also like to employ all of, or implore all of you guys to please go on iTunes and rate and review this podcast with your kindest yes. words. It makes us show up in the search engines much, 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 much better if we have a high rating. So please go through yeah. iTunes, rate and review the podcast. Be sure in your review, here's a little thing about iTunes. Be sure in your review to not like use any vulgar language. Like You can't even say damn or like cock or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So you can't say, I love the damn cocks off of these guys. Um, yeah. iTunes won't post it and won't rate it if you use profanity, so be clean. Uh, <laughs> you guys can follow me on the Instagram and Twitter at Ben Eller Guitars, and you can check out my YouTube guitar channel on youtube.com slash Ben Eller Guitars. And you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Steven Spratling. That's Steven with a V. Um, I'd check me out on Facebook. I don't know. Tumblr, maybe? Uh, I've checked you out. Places. You look good. Hey, how mm. you doing? Mm, mm. You joeyed me. How you doing? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, well, you guys stay tuned next time for our high-tension episode. Uh, In the meantime, be sure to drop us an email and write us a review and stuff. Thank you guys so much for listening. You guys have been great. We have been dead and lovely. Goodbye.